And if, 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 that, if that's true, then I'm speaking of myself as an unbeliever. If, as an, if I'm a, when I'm an unbeliever, then I have this sense of guilt. And it's easier for me to believe that when I die, there's nothing. And there's no judgment, there's nothing. There's no afterlife. It's just oblivion, and I don't know anything. It's like when you go to sleep, and you don't know anything. And, and so they want to believe it that way. And then John Stott, in his series of, uh, that he's the editor of the commentaries, said that when you go back to chapter 4, and when you read in chapter 4 and verse 8, and Paul is accusing them back there, there in this context, he's accusing them of saying that they're reigning as kings. They're reigning as if they've already inherited all the things that belong to Christ, all the inheritance that's in Christ. And he said, you're, you believe you're reigning with kings without us. And he, he took that to mean that uh, they now are in possession of everything that's offered to them through Christ's death, burial, resurrection, and that in there, when they came to believe in him, that they are their possession of all things, and they have no consciousness of their sin, they have no consciousness of suffering, no consciousness. That, and, and so if that's happening to them, then it's, it's a variation. It's not true. It shouldn't be. It shouldn't be. And I want, you to, I want you to know that belief is still with us today as well. It's called the prosperity gospel. And it's being taught by a lot of people, especially on television and uh, some mega churches around Houston. So I, I, I want you to understand that that's the same belief, is that everything that Christ has for you, you should have today. You should have all the gifts. You should have all the blessing. You should have uh, be free from, from illness. You should be free from uh, any kind of suffering at, at all. Um, when, when we read this, here's, here's the, what I want you to have in your mind. When we read and, and read chapter 15, and Paul speaking the resurrection, you, you have the, and I didn't coin this phrase, but it's just a phrase that you probably read too, but it's the already but not yet aspect of salvation. Already, I'm already in Christ, you're already in Christ. We have all the, all the promises of Christ, they are, they're sure to us. We're the inheritance of uh, all, the, all the promises of Christ, but not yet. We don't have them yet. We're still in, they're, 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 they're given to our account, they're on, they're been, they've been appropriated to us, but we haven't come into our inheritance yet. We're still living in the sin-cursed body. And when you read through chapter 15, that's what Paul is saying in a nutshell to, to these people. He starts with the fact of the gospel. I, I think it's so important, I want to just cover it. He does this in verse 3 and 4, the fact of the gospel. For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scripture, that would be the Old Testament Scripture, and uh, verse 4, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day, according to the Scripture. So the, the resurrection of Christ is an Old Testament fact. It, it's prophesied, and now it's been... Fulfilled. He goes from that in verse 5 through 8, and he talks about when Christ was seen after, when Jesus was seen after his resurrection. Uh, verse 5, and he was seen by Cephas, Peter, then by the twelve. After that, he was seen by over 500 brethren at once, probably up in Galilee, we don't know, uh, of whom the greater part remain to the present, but some have fallen asleep. 
Some have already died. <clears throat> and then verse 7, but after that he was seen by James, that's the half-brother of Jesus, who is the leader of the church in Jerusalem, then by all the apostles, then last of all he was seen by me also as one born out of due time. If we had time, we could do about a month's lessons on chapter 15, but I want to just point out, one of the commentators said that when he said, when Paul said, and last of all is seen by me as one born out of due time, what Paul is saying is that I wasn't with the other apostles, but I'm after that, and I, I saw him, and he said, I'm the last one who did. No one since then has seen the risen Christ. And he's saying you can imply that from his words. So historically, um, if you go down through verse 14 through 19, uh, Paul makes the case that uh, if, if we don't believe in the resurrection, and if it's not true, but we believed in it, then we're to be pitied. We're, we're, we're to be pitied because we're going to come to the end of our life and have a great surprise. But so he's, he's saying, and he, 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 he's, he's trying to emphasize that this is the key of the gospel. The resurrection of Christ is a key part of the gospel. It's not just that he died for my sin, but he was, he was risen, from, risen from the grave for my justification. And because he was, I am justified before God. I can, I can believe that. So that's what he's doing, verse 14 down through verse 19. is just giving this argument about this is a key part of the gospel. You cannot ignore this part about the resurrection of Christ. I want to just throw it, historically, the evidence is overwhelming for the resurrection of Christ. I'm not going to go through that because I think you believe it, and it's not a problem. You can find a lot of information about that. Here's what Jesus said to Thomas, you remember. Uh, Because you've seen me, you believe. Blessed are those who have not seen, yet have believed. That's us. We're blessed because we believe. And what was, Tom, what was he talking about? He's talking about his resurrected body. He told Tom, put your finger here, you know, touch me, make sure that I'm real, and then you, you believe. And now Paul gives the order of the resurrection, beginning in verse 20. And these, this is what we're going to study now. But now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. You recognize the word first fruits. That's a Jewish term uh, about... What when you came after Passover and on the Sabbath after the Passover you offered uh, not the Sabbath after the Passover but the but the next day after the Passover Sabbath you offered first fruits and it wasn't a blood offering why because Passover was already a blood offering no longer necessary but you're giving a grain offering of of your crops or whatever and it's the first fruit thinking that here is the very first of my grain, but I'm trusting in God there's a harvest to come. There's going to be a fuller harvest to come. And here's how he applies that, that Jesus is the first fruit offering. Um, And he's become the first fruits of all those who have fallen asleep. That's a synonym for dying. For a Christian, it's it's not dying, it's just falling asleep. On the lesson outline I'm going to send you, I have some quotes from Spurgeon, and I'm not going to read them this morning. In fact, I didn't even bring them. But one of the things that he said is that for, for us, for a Christian, uh, our, our dying is, is just a process of going to glory. Uh, 
and we all hear those terms, but it, it's not something to be feared, it's something to be embraced. I mean, it, death is an enemy of us but because we're slowly dying. I hate to tell you that this morning, but we're slowly dying already, and it's an enemy of us, but it's, it's, not, it's, it's conquered by Christ, okay? And we're going to get to that later in this, in this chapter. But the first fruits, he's the first fruits, which means we're going to follow him. All those who have died since Christ, and when Paul is writing, there have been many who have died, and uh, they're following Christ. They're going to be resurrected one, one day. Uh, verse 21, let me find my place. For since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. Now, if you went back in Romans 5, this is, this is theology of the federal headship of Adam. Adam is the, the head of the human race. And if you remember in Romans chapter 5, by one man sin, death entered, and death passed upon all mankind for all of sin. So Adam is our federal head and today, and, and we're going to die because of the curse of sin. So if Christ tarries, we're going to die. This body's going to die, your body's going to die because of the curse of sin. And then, but it doesn't end there. By man, in the capital M, by Christ, also came the resurrection of the dead. So Adam is the federal head of the of the race, and Christ is the federal head of all those who believe and all those who will be resurrected one day. Uh, and then we read this in verse 22. For as in Adam all died, so, all, so in Christ all shall be made alive. And then verse 23. But each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, afterward those who are Christ's at his coming. So... We believe in a two-stage coming of Christ. First, the rapture. Uh, that's what we're looking for, isn't it? We're, we're looking with, with anticipation that one day we're going to hear this sound, and I think it's going to be come up here, and we're going to go, if we're alive, uh, to meet the Lord in the air, and so we'll ever be with the Lord. I, wouldn't that be great to experience it if you're alive? But it's going to be great to experience if you've already died. I mean, it's just going to be just as great. It's going to be the same reward, uh, same experience. In fact, it might be more exciting to experience it when, when, when you come out of the grave. Now, how, how does that when your body comes out of the grave? You're already there, but when your body comes out of the grave and you're embodied in your body. How many of you went through our theology classes some 20 years ago and we did you may remember we studied we studied extensively what happens when when a person dies and you're, you're, you go to be with the Lord so your soul goes to be with the Lord but your body goes to the grave and and so you're not a you're, you're happy all right I mean we're going to be we're going to be happy in the presence of Christ but we're not complete and we're never going to be complete until that body is resurrected and remade, and then we are in the presence of Christ in our heavenly body. We are known as we know, and, and, and we know as we're known, and we're in His presence, fully clothed with our new body, fully clothed. And it's a little complicated, and I, I, I'm, I'm raising it this morning because I want you to think about it, is that uh, 
their, their loved ones we have who know Christ and they've died and they're with Christ today, but they're not with Christ and their, and their body as we would know them, but one day they will be and we will recognize them and they will recognize us and we will have an intimate relationship with them uh, beyond anything that the earth has to offer and it, it will be joyous, it will be wonderful. So, that the first stage is the rapture at his coming. And after that, uh, then the, there's going to be a tribulation. It's going to be a raising of the Old Testament saints at the end of the tribulation. The Old Testament saints and those who were killed or died during the tribulation would be resurrected at the end of the tribulation. And then we, again, go with me back to the text. But each one in his own order, Christ the first roots, afterward those for Christ that is coming, both stages, then comes the end, verse 24, when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father, when he puts an end to all rule and authority and power. So, the end is coming, and after these two stages of resurrection, when we studied Revelation, we saw that Jesus, uh, after the tribulation, he establishes his kingdom reign for a thousand years, and at the end of that, there's a great white throne judgment, and all the earthly kingdoms are then subject to the rule of, and reign of Christ. Uh, at, at, after that, he, he, and then when we realize that, he delivers the kingdom to God the Father when he puts an end to all rule and all authority and all power. And we know also God the Father gives it back to him. And so um, it's really, there's a lot of theology in this, a lot of theology in this summary about the resurrection. And now we get to verse 29. And verse 29 is one of the most difficult verses in the Bible, and there's a lot of uh, different opinions and, uh, about what it actually means. Read it with me. Well, wait a minute. We, we skipped something. Did I do that intentionally, or I just didn't put it down? Okay, verse 24. We read that, verse 25. For he must reign till he has put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy that will be destroyed is death. For he has put all things under his feet. But when he says all things are put under him, it is evident that he who put all things under him is accepted. So God puts all things under the feet of Christ except Christ himself. Uh, No, Let let me rephrase that. Let me go back. For he has put all things under his feet. God's put all things under Christ's feet. But when he says all things are put under him, under... Well, let me reverse it again. I don't know what I'm talking about this morning. (laughs) For he has put all things under his feet. Christ has put all things under God's feet. Okay? But when he says all things are put under him... It is, all things are put under God. It is evident that he who put all things under him is accepted. It's evident that Christ is accepted. So Christ is not under the authority of God. He is God. Verse 28, but when all things are made subject to him, then the Son himself will also be subject to him who put all things under him, that God may be all in all. So Paul's just giving an example of the Lord, that all the kingdoms are going to be subdued, Christ is going to reign. God is going to be glorified. They're, they're unified in their glory, unified in, in the reign. But it'll be Christ who reigns, okay? And Christ always lived 
it does today under the will of God the Father. Now, that's the unity of Trinity. We don't fully understand that, but that's the unity of, of the Trinity. And now we come to verse 29. So, otherwise, what will they do who are baptized for the dead if the dead do not rise at all? Now, Paul is changing his argument here. He's, he, he's, given, he, he's given the outline, and now he's given another argument. Otherwise, what will they do who are baptized for the dead if the dead do not rise at all? Why then are they baptized for the dead? And why do we stand in jeopardy every hour? Here's one way that's been interpreted. And when I looked at the people who know the original languages and talk about the very language of these words, uh, there are some who believe that what Paul is actually saying is that there were people in Corinth who they had come out of a pagan background probably, and now they've, been, they've trusted Christ, but they're worried about their loved ones who've died who haven't. And they're actually baptizing them for, on behalf and proxy for those who they care about who've already died and wanting to get them to share in the glory of Christ and the forgiveness of Christ, even though they've already died, so they're getting baptized on their behalf. That's what the Mormons do today. You know that? I mean, the Mormons do that today. And uh, so that's how they do it. They interpret this verse that way. And from the language, it could be interpreted that way. But Paul is not saying that it's beneficial or it helps. He's not saying that. He's just saying, if there is no resurrection, why in the world would they be doing that? There's no purpose in them doing that. And if, even if they're doing it, there's no purpose to it if there is no resurrection. They're already dead, and they're not going anywhere. And you're going to die, and you're not going anywhere, so there's no purpose in it. Which I think if that's the interpretation, then that is legitimate, and that's, part, part of, that's Paul's argument. Here's what I think, and here's what other commentators believe, and they look at the language the same way. They just interpret it differently. That Paul is saying, if, if I don't believe in the resurrection, and, and there have been uh, people in my family or people in this church, when I come to believe in Christ and I become a part of this church, and I saw hundreds of people baptized up here in this very room, and, this, and then over in the main auditorium now. And if I've seen that, and I've seen them baptized, and they said, you're buried in the likeness of his death, and you're raised in the likeness of his resurrection, but I don't believe in the resurrection, then what's the purpose? Then why, why, and Paul said, why am I putting my life in jeopardy? And Paul was, by preaching the gospel of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, and that you can be resurrected from the dead, he's putting his life in jeopardy and would eventually lose his life because of that message. And he's saying, why are we doing that if it's not true? I think that's the correct interpretation. But, again, it, it's a little bit of, uh, little bit of uncertainty there. And then he says this, uh, when we go beyond that, we read down to verse 30, and then he says, verse 31, I affirm by the boasting in you, which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord, I die daily, if in the manner of men I have fought with beasts, 
at Ephesus, what advantage is it to me if the dead do not rise? Let us, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Paul said he fought, fought with beasts at Ephesus. What does that actually mean? Does it mean that the people there were beastly? You know, we, we know about his beatings. We know about his uh, early drownings. We, we know his imprisonment. I don't know exactly what he is referring to here. But he's just, he's just saying, if after the matter of men, I've gone through this struggle. He just I put my life in jeopardy all the time. And if I've gone through this struggle, what advantage is it to me if there is no resurrection? Why would I do that? Why would anyone do that? And then he said, and if, if, if that's not true, if the dead do not rise, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. So the preacher down in Houston says, your best life now. You know, this is it. Get all you can, because this is it. And when it's over, it's over. But then he said this, do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. And he's speaking about theology. He's speaking about this theology of resurrection. Evil, I mean, that, that verse applies to a lot of things. You tell your kids that. We've told our kids that. Evil company corrupts good habits. And uh, so, and then he goes on. Awake to righteousness and do not sin, for some do not have the knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. Don't. Don't fall in with the unbelievers who do not believe in the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. So his admonition to belief and to, to live like it's true. I need to live today like I'm going to stand in the presence of Christ one day and, a, and I'm going to give an account. And I need to live like that. I'm going to, as a Christian, I'm going to give an account. And my account is not, it's not going to be measured to whether I'm saved or not. I'm saved by the blood of Christ. My account and your account is going to be, what did you do with that? Did you live in righteousness? Were you a testimony to God's grace? And did did you live that way? And now he goes to what our resurrected body is going to be like. I think this is a very interesting portion of Scripture. And uh, it's a lengthy portion, so be very patient. Verse 35, but someone will say, how are the dead raised up and with what body do they come? Foolish one, what you sow, or sow is the farmer term, what you put out in the field, what you sow is not made alive unless it dies. But what you sow, you do not sow that body that shall be, but mere grain, perhaps wheat or some other grain. But God gives it a body as he pleases, and to each seed its own body. All flesh is not the same flesh, for there is one kind of flesh of men, another flesh of animals, another flesh, another fish, another of birds. There are also celestial bodies and terrestrial bodies. Celestial bodies is the heaven. Have you seen some of the images from the James, is it the James Webb telescope? Is that the name of it? Have you seen some of the images? Have you all seen that on your, and uh, it's really interesting. That's a celestial body. And the glory of the terrestrial, that's the Grand Canyon, that's the Tetons, things like that, the Rocky Mountains. And there is one glory, verse 41, one glory of the sun, another glory of the moon, another glory of the star, for one star differs from another star in, in glory. Illustration of the created universe. Paul is saying it's all different, and, it, but, and, the, and it's just like the body. When the body is sown, 
by death. It's buried, but it's going to rise completely different. Now, I've already said, I'm going to recognize you in heaven. You're going to recognize me in heaven. And, and you won't think about my freckles and ears in heaven. I won't think about your whatever. And we won't think about that, but we will know each other. And we will appreciate and, and love fully without any, uh, any implications of that. But we're different. And we're going to be, we're going to be di- I'm going to be different from what I am today. And the difference is, he's going to tell us in a minute... <laughs> The, the, the difference is, is that I'm going to be without the curse of sin. You're going to be without the curse of sin. It uh, doesn't mean that we are, are goody two-shoes at that point in time. It means that we're no longer subject to the curse that's upon the world today and uh, in any measure. So let's go back to it again. Uh, the difference between the seed sown and the fruit of the plant. If you if you plant things, you know that. You, you put... A watermelon seed down, and it's just a little bitty seed, but you get a watermelon. It's different. Uh, it's the same nature, but they're, they're different in their presentation totally. So now he says there is a difference in our body before and after the resurrection. That begins in verse 42. So also is the resurrection of the dead. The body is sown in corruption. It is raised in incorruption. Now, corruption doesn't mean that after you die, you begin to deteriorate. That's, that's really, it could mean that, and that is true. But it, but it means that our, our corruption, our corruption is the curse of sin. Our corruption is on me physically, but it's on me spiritually. Our corruption is that I, I, I have a tendency to still live by faith, to live by what I see, have a tendency to make myself uh, preeminent over you, have a tendency to be self-centered, to be selfish, to be all these things, to glorify myself. See, that's corruption. That's the corruption of sin. Okay, and, and it's true with all of us. But we're going to be raised in incorruption. None of that's going to be true. Uh, when, I, when I meet you in heaven, I'm going to love you fully. I'm going to love you for exactly who you are, and I'm going to love you fully and appreciate you as a child of God. And it will be a, a, it will be a fullness. I, I, I'm trying to think about how to describe it to you, and I guess the best way to describe it to you is that how many of you are grandparents? Okay, then you have this idea when those grandchildren are, are small and they're maybe big enough to recognize you, and they're not selfish yet, and they're big enough to recognize you, and they say. Papa, you know, and they hold their hands out. Okay, that's about as close as I could get to heaven. <laughs> if you're not a grandparent, you're going to experience that one of these days. Uh, now, as they get older, that melts away. I'm sorry. To, uh, you, you can testify to that as well. <laughs> not, not totally, but, but a little bit. But, but we're going to be raised in incorruption. And then it actually means physically as well. No longer will we be subject to the curse of sin. See, today, there's some things that maybe I, I, I want to do, but I can't. I can't do it because I'm subject to the curse of sin. Um, there, there, there might be that I, I, I want to be healthy, but I can't. I'm not, that, I'm not in charge of that. 
Uh, I mean, I'm charged a little bit of it, but I'm not charged of all of it. So there's, you understand, that's the curse of sin. We live under the curse. And we live under the corruption. This body, physically itself, is, is corrupt. And it's, it's it, I'd already said to you, it's, it's dying. It's slowly, slowly dying. Uh, and so, uh, when, when we're, we're going to be chained from that incorruption to incorruption. What a wonderful thing that is to contemplate. In verse 43, it is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. What dishonors the body today? And it's sin. We, we dishonor Christ by our, our sinfulness. And even the best of us are sinners. Uh, we, we may have the best motive in the world, but we're still selfish, we're still, we're still self-centered, we're still me first. And it may not be to the degree it was before we were saved, but it's still there. It's still corruptible. We're still under the curse of sin, and, and, and we still live that out. So it's, that's dishonor. But it's raised in glory. When we stand in the presence of Christ in our new body, we're going to fully glorify Him. We're going to have the conscious awareness that He is all and more than we ever understood, that he is glory impersonated in his person. And we are going to be so appreciative then of that. I was listening to John Piper a week or so ago, and Piper was talking about the reasons to keep us from sin. It's on his little podcast, The Reason to Keep Us From Sin. And he, he gave different verses, he said, that you need to think about if you're tempted. And one of the things he said is that, uh, that stuck with me, he said, is that if you need to think that if you, if you willingly sin, you're adding to the punishment of Christ. Now, not literally, but because that's already happened. That's already in the past. But, but you're, it's like, I don't know how to say it to it. Like Adam is our federal head. That's already the past too. But I'm still adding to it. I am a sinner. And every sin that I commit today is against the shed blood of my Savior. I am refuting the power of the shed blood of my Savior. And I'm, 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 dis, I'm dishonoring it. I'm saying it means nothing to me. What I'm choosing to do is, 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 is more important than the fact that Christ shed his blood to set me free from the power of sin. You understand does that make sense, what I'm saying? And, and so that's our corruption. That's our dishonor. But one day we're, not going to have, we're, not, we're never going to be tempted to sin again. We're never going to be tempted. Never tempted to lust, never tempted to pride, never tempted to lie, never tempted again. That's heaven itself, isn't it? So, <laughs> okay. And then where are we? Let's go back in our text. Verse 42, verse 43. Verse 43, it is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. I live with the weakness of my constitutional will. Uh, Paul, Paul wrote about that in Romans 7. When he said the things I would do, I cannot do, I find myself not doing. The things I would not do, I end up doing. 
And Paul's talking about himself in Romans 7 after he was saved. Paul's talking about dwelling in this body. That's our weakness. We have a constitutional weakness. I want to honor Christ all the time. I mean, my mind says I want to honor. He is my Savior. I'm going to dwell with him throughout eternity. I want to honor him in every word that I speak, every thought that I have. But I don't do it. I don't do it. I fail. I, I fail. I, 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 and you know, uh, and, and you, I suspect, fail as well. So that's going to change. When now we're in weakness, resurrected body is going to be powerful. We're going to have the power to do that. Verse 44, it's on a natural body. It's raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body. There is a spiritual body. Remember when Christ appeared, uh, he, he, he ate fish in their presence so they might know it was actually a, a human body that he was in, but he wasn't confined to their space-time limitation uh, and never will be again. And we will have that spiritual body. We will not be confined to space-time limitation. You know why? Because there will not be any time and space will be available to us in our spiritual body. We're going to go explore what the James Webb Telescope has shown us. We're going to go explore that one day. We're going to participate in Star Trek. I've been thinking about watching the movie so I'll know what to anticipate. I'm one of those people I've never seen a Star Trek movie. So, you know, and, and so we're going to, we're going to be... We're going to be like Christ in, in, in that sense. Isn't that wonderful to think about? Is that there is going to be um, a spiritual body. And then verse 45. Uh, and so it is written, the first man Adam became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. Adam gave us physical life and Christ gave us spiritual life. And he is the life-giving spirit. Verse 46, however, the spiritual is not first, but the natural, and afterward, the spiritual. So we have to go through this life. We have to go through this life before we come to the spiritual life. Verse 47, the first man was of the earth, made of dust. The second man is the Lord from heaven. And as was the man of dust, so also are those who are made of dust. And as he as is the heavenly man, so also are those who are heavenly. And as we have borne the image of the man of dust, so we shall also bear the image of the heavenly man. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. So we are going to be changed. I tell you a mystery, he said in verse 51, we shall not all sleep, but we shall be changed. Okay, speaking about the rapture or when he comes again in, in, the, in, the, in his fullness. In the moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. That was, that, I don't know how to express it to you. That's powerful. That's so powerful. That's, what a great hope. What a, what a great hope. You know, when you see these little boys out playing and, and they have a sword or they have a gun and, you know, or they have a cape, which is so common, even girls do that, you know, and they, 
and, and they're, they're, they're thinking about what they could be one day, that, what they want to be. And, and that's what we should do. We should contemplate and, and, and we should think about one day what I'm going to be. I'm going to be in the presence of Christ and I'm going to be fully satisfied, fully full of joy. There's not going to be any down days. There, there's not going to be any blue Mondays. There's not, there's not going to be lonely Saturday nights. There's, just, there's not going to be any of those things. And there's not going to be anything. You're not going to get up with aches and pains. You're, you're not going to get up and need a cup of coffee to get going. None of those things. You're going to be fully like God created you in the beginning with a full realization of joy and happiness and satisfaction and worship. And again, let me use, let me use Piper's words. The fullness of worship is when you're satisfied in God. It's, it's when, you, when you have an awareness, God, I'm satisfied in you. I'm satisfied in what Christ did for me. I'm satisfied in who I am. I'm satisfied in the hope. I'm satisfied in the forgiveness of sin. I'm satisfied. That's the fullness of worship. It's not, it's not saying, Lord, I'm going to sing, I'm going to pray, I'm going to give so that I can be different. But it's, Lord, I'm doing those things because I am different. I am your child. And, I, and I, I'm going to be different one day, but today I'm satisfied in what I am, where I am, because of what you've done for me. That's the fullness of worship. Whether you're doing it in the church service, whether you're doing it in your own closet, whether you're doing it at work, whether you're doing it while you're driving your car, when you have an awareness that God has loved you, and that you are fully loved by him, and you have a great future ahead of you. Hallelujah. There, there I went. I raised my hands. Hallelujah. Isn't that wonderful? That, that's our future. And, you, and we never stop to think about it. I never stop to think about it. Do you? Only when I study. I don't stop to think about it when I'm paying the bills. I don't stop to think about it when... You have a flat tire. I don't stop to think about it when you have to go to the blooming doctor, you know, you know, twice a month. And, you know, I don't think about it when I'm going through the trials of life, when I have COVID. I don't think about it. Do you? We don't think about it. We don't stop to think about it. And we should. We should. And that's worship when we do. And now he gives a theological argument to, to end it, and we'll go through it very quickly. Verse 54, so when this corruptible is put on incorruption, this mortal is put on immortality, then should be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? O Hades, Hades is the grave. O Hades, where is your victory? And then he gives the, re- the argument. The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. Okay, let me explain that to you. The sting of death is sin. Okay, if I don't know Christ, the sting of dying is that I'm facing judgment. I, today I can get by with it, but if when, I, when I die, I'm going to face judgment. And I'm going I'm to have to pay for my sin. But because of Christ, the sting of sin is gone. 
So the sting of death is gone because of Christ. Christ paid for my sin. When I die, I'm not facing my sin anymore. I'm not facing judgment. I'm facing evaluation of what I did with my life, but I'm not facing judgment. So there's no sting in death for we anymore. Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, grave, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. You remember when in the gospel where it said, the gates of hell shall not prevail against the kingdom of God? There it said the gates of Hades. It's, I think it's the same thing it's speaking about here. I think it's saying that when, when I die and they bury me, my wife buries me, my kids, whatever, they bury me out in the cemetery, but that has not prevailed in my life. That grave has not prevailed. You know why? Because there's a resurrection. I'm coming up one day. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm coming up. I'm coming out. And so that sting is gone. Uh, but thanks be to God, verse 57, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. When, when you read what Spurgeon had to say, he's, he's, he's speaking about that we should go through life and not be, and not ask for dying grace. Yeah, we're not, we're not there just yet. But when we're there, God will give it to us. And when, when we're there, he, he will give it to us and, and, and we will not be fearful and not be afraid. We will have this awareness theologically that I'm going to my reward. I am graduating into heaven. I'm graduating into the presence of God, and I will be with him. And then he gives a further admonition to faithfulness. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. What a wonderful promise we have. What a, what a wonderful Savior we have. I'm going to pray and we'll go, okay? Our Father, we thank you for the great hope we have of being resurrected one day. We, we honor you, we glorify your name, we exalt you. And uh, Father, might, might it, if we think on these things, might it change how we look at our life, how we look at the issues in our life and the, uh, the details at different stages of life and the rearing of our children and, Lord, the, the work and uh, lack of it or whatever it might be, that, Lord, we just have a rejoicing in our heart because of what we anticipate the future is going to be. We ask you to help us with this by your spirit and your word. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, God bless you. We'll see you in church.